Welcome back to the program. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, we love you, thank you, and praise you for who you are and all that you've done for us. Father, I ask in the holy name of Jesus that you'd bless and anoint this interview and all those who listen, Lord, that they'd be encouraged, that they'd find a sense of consolation and support and inspiration, Lord, to know and to do your will. Lord, that's all we want. That's all we want to do in our lives is to know and to do your will. Mother Mary and St. Joseph, please pray with us and for us and for all those listening that they'd be blessed by this interview. In Jesus' holy name, amen. amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, John and Amy, thanks again for being here today on the program. We're going to get to know you guys a bit and what God has been up to in your lives. So, first of all, I'm here in Biloxi, Mississippi. Now, you guys are not from Biloxi, Mississippi. Is that right? Yeah. Definitely not. I mean, I wish we were from Biloxi, Mississippi. <laughs> Did I pronounce that right? Is it Biloxi or Biloxi? I said Biloxi. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll find out. You're that new. Well, I know that lots of folks will say names a little bit off. Like, people will say... Kootenai County instead of Kootenai County, and they're like, "Oh, I was totally exposed as a as a, a interloper who just came in right. to Northern Idaho." Uh, but John and Amy, um, I again, I've known you guys for I don't know, probably close to twenty years. It's been a long time. It's been a long, long time. And Amy, you have been uh, the producer of Sound Insight for I don't know, 10, 12 years, a long time. About thirteen. I remember Annalise, our oldest daughter, was one when we first started doing work together. And this is this is kind of a big deal. I was thinking this this morning that as a listener as well who's listened to your program for every program for almost 13 years, I thought this could be a great moment to like test your subject. I mean, come on, ask me. I mean, think of a couple. <laughs> what could you ask, you know, something that only a Sound Insight listener would know? Okay. Well, that's actually... that. Hanser's on Balthazar. Nice. I love it. Okay. Who's the most quoted um, guy? Peter Kraft. Yeah. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, hermeneutics. This is Did that great. one surprise you? Oh, my goodness. Hermeneutics. Amy, you're funny. I think I said that in a conversation the other day. I said hermeneutics. How many people can flex like that Not using many. the word yeah. hermeneutics? In well, and I know there's some very loyal Sound Insight listeners yeah. who have been listening even longer than I have that so, can probably okay. quote you Okay, then I'm going to press you here. Okay, you said it. So I, there's something that I've used, I don't know how many times on the program. It's the first rule of hermeneutics. The first rule of hermeneutics has to do... Do you, do you Presume misunderstanding? Is that yes, it? and... Presume misunderstanding. And inquire. <laughs> and inquire. Yeah. There you go. Because I so I'm almost there. That is awesome. I mean, but first of all, how many people can understand? So hermeneutics, John's looking at me thinking, please don't ask me what hermeneutics yeah, Don't ask me. Interpretation <laughs> theory. Interpretation theory. And the basic idea is that don't presume understanding. Don't presume that you, when someone is having non-ordinary communication with you, presume that you're not understanding it sure. rather than understanding it. Yeah. And if you presume misunderstanding, then you better inquire. So ask. And I say that's like the second most important statement in marriage, right? Because how many times do you have like crucial conversations or your kids are coming to you and you see things happen and you presume you understand and then you get it wrong? I should say, I presume I understand and then I get it wrong. I have to own it. Or I presume I understand and I presume you misunderstand. Yeah. <laughs> but I am ultimately right. Is that hermeneutics? No? So that's because the most important statement of marriage is yes, dear. Yeah. yeah. And then the second yes. is presume misunderstanding and then acquire. See, so yes, dear. Whatever you say, Amy, is, is absolutely right. And then every Sound Insight listener would also know that anytime there's a question, the answer is yes. Right? Is it this or that? It's yes. This is so good. See, this is like, I'm paying see, attention. Oh, my goodness. Loyal listener. Right. Yeah. See, you pay me to listen to you, Tom. That's yeah. how it works. I love that. <laughs> yeah, and that has to do with the nature of truth, right? It's so, so often we think it's either or. But in the Catholic faith, it's both and. Is Jesus God or man? Right, both. Yes, right? right? The answer is yes. And so that just to, to be able to live in that tension of sometimes saying, I wish things were so clear. I wish things were just so easy and just sort of straightforward. But you know what? Sometimes there's a nuance to things that is hard to keep all together. Like, am I supposed yeah. to connect with my kids or correct my kids? Yes. Mm -hmm. But boy, which one am I supposed to do right now? Am I supposed to lead with mercy and connect with them and focus on the relationship? Yeah. Or do I focus on holding up the standard and the ideal and asking them to conform to the ideal, even though that's going to mean being the bad cop? Right. Yeah. Wow. And so what's, what shows the way? Love shows the way. 
right? Love shows the way. Yeah. So, well, let's start with so let's good. start with love. Let's talk about <laughs> showing the way. Um, so, married for I don't know how many years. Almost. 16 years. 15 and a half. That's a long time. And six kids. Almost sweet 16. Oh my goodness. You got a whole bunch of kiddos. Yeah, we do. We have six children. Our oldest is um, 15. Our youngest is over in a cage. No, I. (laughs) we have like a little pack and play playroom for him and his sister. So she's four and he's two. And they're the only two at home right now. So our other kids get dispersed throughout the day. Nice. Um, Which is still a bit terrifying for us. Um, always when your kids are out of the house because especially now we have teenagers so there's a whole nother um, in- intimidation going on with what they're experiencing when they go out in the world and so if we started with the end of the story yeah. you guys about a year and a half well just almost, almost two, two years, years almost two, two years. years ago yes made a big decision to uproot from the Puget Sound area where I, yeah. I knew you uh, and yes. move all the way down to here. And so that's the end of the story. Yeah. And we're going to get to the end of the story. Like, what would be, you know, so, like, what would be the impetus to say, we are going to move, we have to move. Um, but let's start at the beginning of the story. Let's talk about your your own life of faith in, in terms of you coming together. Because uh, you, you're living your, your life as very intentional, devout Catholics. Talk a wow. bit about that. Talk about how your Catholic faith has been connected to your married life. Mm. Well, thank you for saying intentional and devout. I I feel like even just hearing you say that, I start to sweat a little bit because I'm like, oh, I hope that's true. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know how many of the listeners have known because I don't remember all the stories I used to share that was so long ago, but I'm a convert to Catholicism and I converted, oddly enough, at a state school, state university school in Washington State. So a lot of parents, their minds are being blown right now because you hear about kids going off to secular colleges and state universities and losing their faith. Well, I found mine there. That's a long story. But so when I met John and we got married, um, I was Catholic. I just become Catholic. I guess you can talk about your state. Yeah, I was. We have a very different. Where were you when we? started to court sure i mean we have a very different background of where what happened you were converted to catholicism and i was a cradle catholic raised catholic and of course i fell away um for a few years there um and then i met amy in the process of kind of discovering myself and, and discovering what i wanted to be and um and i could tell that she was impressed with the fact that I had a faith, even though I may not have been practicing it at the time. You had um, good foundation. A good foundation and good roots and good understanding of the faith. You had a praying mother as well. I had yes. a praying she mother. Oh, yes. she was praying. Well, she was praying for him. It's a testament to my family. Right? She was it's, praying parents, for me. Your it's, parents flex the, their relics yes, more than anybody <laughs> yes, I know. We did. have a relic. St. Bridget really? of Ireland. Yes, we got to take her with us when we, when we moved here. Uh, I was so yeah. grateful to get that. But anyways, we did come from different scenarios, and yeah. But we we found each other, and we found I found my way back into the faith thanks to Amy and, and thanks to my parents and those that were praying. But um, yeah, we we've been very intentional in in our faith and for our, the faith of our children, um, and that's come a long way. I think there were some circumstances that happened in the Pacific Northwest that kind of were some red flags and, and gave us you know foresight into the future if you will of what things were coming down the pipeline and and we made some decisions made some decisions that were difficult not easy uh, uprooting your family moving across country to a small town in Biloxi Mississippi that we didn't even know exist we I didn't mean, even know that's existed. the other thing we didn't it's seek out and study where would be the most practical place to yeah. move or what's where's the most uh, Catholic place to live or, or where where's going to have the best schools I remember for us we were just praying for a really long time we always had a sense of unrest Mm -hmm. so a lot of people who know us very well and you may have noticed this that we did we've had a lot of temporary living situations it was really Mm -hmm. hard for us I think a lot of our marriage just feeling like you know we were called to be very docile and move where the spirit was moving us and but yet because we put our own guidelines and boundaries on that we kept running up to dead ends you know Mm -hmm. anywhere lord 
that you want for us and our family, but somewhere in Western Washington, someplace in King County. And then it was, okay, maybe Eastern Washington. Okay, maybe we'll take Idaho or Montana. And it wasn't really until we really said, Lord, we want to be completely open, to be moved, you know, wherever you're calling us um, for us and for, for our family, but really for God. I mean, I think that's what it was. We wanted to be disciples for God and and go wherever he was he was taking us. And then he showed us the city and this town that we didn't even know existed. Right. How did you decide on Biloxi? We didn't decide on Biloxi. <laughs> the Lord decided. The Lord decided. We said yes. Said, yes, sir. So before we get to the trip, let's go back to um, Pacific Northwest. So you're in the Puget Sound area. You, you, John, come from a very devout family of faith um, on both sides, especially your mom with all of the big family, mm-hmm. right? All, all peppered across mm-hmm. the Northwest. Um, what would you say would be a couple of things that you did as a family or in your marriage that you have found to be the most helpful in fostering faith. So fostering faith in your married life or in terms of your parenting. Just love to hear what would be something that you've done that you felt like, you know, this was a real blessing. I don't know that we'd have the same answer to that. We might not. This is good. Yeah. Keeping it real. This is. You go ahead. You go first, (laughs) and then I'll give the right answer. (laughs) You sound like me and Carrie over here. Come on now. This is not a Friday program. Um, So it starts with humility. (laughs) True. That is so true. John, man, that's a great answer. Um, But I think, uh, I think for for me personally, I think, and we do, we probably do have different answers. For me personally, I think it's. Um, I had a good example of a father figure and I saw the fruits of his labor on the family and I also had a great grandfather who was very devout in his faith and so I and I saw the fruits of his labor as well so I through my aunts and uncles and I wanted that same I wanted that same um, unity within the faith for my family and they made a lot of sacrifices along the way and they, that was I guess that was spoken into me um, at a young age that sacrifice is a part of this and um, and my grandfather especially had kind of a, a brash uh, method of, of speaking that into me but um, I respect him for that I respected him for that and um, I wanted to um, I wanted to have that same responsibility uh, for my kids. I know that impacts the way that they see the faith and the way they see the Lord mm-hmm. um, is first and foremost through the father. And um, and then of course the um, the rest of the family, the mother. And So I wanted to set that example and, and that example comes with um, just allowing the Lord to lead you in all aspects of your life. Mm-hmm. And if you can make um, a big decision like we did to move across the country and you can explain to them why you're doing that, um, they might not agree and understand the, the children right at the, the time of the decision, but um, from experience and watching what had happened with my family and um, my grandfather's family, I knew that it would it would yield the fruit that we wanted it to. So I went on faith. I love that. I think that's really powerful. And I want to explore more about that because you talked, what well, you just said, what well, I'm going to kind of speak back, I'm going to pull out a thread is the power and importance of being a godly man. Being godly, but being a man. And that's been a theme that I've been unfolding a bit on on recent programs on Sound Insight. And it's something that when we were talking last night, when we were out just visiting and hanging out, eating, getting a bite to eat, uh, that was one of the, the trails we ended up going down was like, what does it mean to be a man? And what does it mean to raise young men? Mm-hmm. You got boys, so what sure. does it mean to raise young men to be godly men? And how um, there can be a tendency for men today to be passive. And passivity, um, there's a, a word in Latin that has to do with passivity in men. Do you want to know what that word is? Yeah, sure. You, you better say yes. <laughs> I know, I was going to try to guess it. I'm like, you should I should know it. this. I it should was, know it. It was because it was in the Summa Theologica, and I mentioned it last week. It's effeminacy. Yes, that's, that's right. Effeminacy. Softness. Effeminate. Right, softness. softness. Yes. See, yeah. I listen. I'm you paying attention. You do listen, yes. Just for the record. So the softness is passivity due to dissipation. Mm. Oh, my goodness. These are like cool words. Yeah. These yeah. are not typical words. But dissipation is this 
this expenditure of energy where you lose a sense of vigor yeah. and vibrancy, a manliness that says, I will take on the hard challenge. I will do the difficult thing. I will, you know, I will, I will like, come on, bring it on. I will fight that battle. And instead, because of a cultured, fostered sense of softness, comfort and ease, when it comes time to step up, to man up, mm -hmm. we don't have the strength we need to respond to the challenge that's at hand. Sure. Isn't that striking? Yeah. I mean, Aquinas, man, he, he's so profound. He's got some great stuff. So I love what you said, though, because it's like, you know what? It was my father, it was my grandfather that said to me by how they lived, their lives right. spoke. Right. Be a man. Man up. Mm -hmm. I love that. Uh, let's join D'Angelo along with Amy D'Angelo. We're up against a break. When we come back, Amy, it's going to be your turn to answer. What were some of the things that you found have best fostered faith in your own home and your married life? Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kernan with John and Amy D'Angelo. They're sharing their journey of faith with me today. This is part of a, a new thing. I guess it's going to be new in 2022 <laughs> is... Uh, uh, kind of having other couples share their story uh, as a way of being uh, an encouragement and, and being uh, a source of inspiration for other couples who are trying to like navigate the challenging times that we're living in. So just before the break, I had asked John and Amy in their 15, 16 years of married life, what have you found to be a blessing? What have you found to be a source of support and encouragement in your own marriage and in your parenting? So Amy, it's your turn. Yeah, well, I can definitely point to the power of association and, and community because I know that it, it has been such a lifeline for me to be surrounded by other women of faith. At the same time, that power of association for me also was very much rooted in the sacraments. I grew up, obviously I was a convert, so I know what it's like to live life. Gosh, I think I converted when I was 23, so 23 years without a sacramental life. And I converted from being more of an agnostic type environment. So I, I preface that because people hear convert and they assume, oh, well, you were Protestant before or something else. But I would consider it more agnostic. You were a nun. Yeah. <laughs> and they were so famous in the Seattle area. N-O-N-E's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and and not to discredit my parents. I mean, they, they definitely passed on a lot of... Christian morals and values to us through how they lived. It just wasn't packaged in in a way that said, you know, religion or some kind of organized church and this is where we worship on Sundays and this is why we do that. So I didn't grow up going to any church. I didn't really grow up knowing anything about God other than there's probably someone else that's kind of in control that influences the outcomes of our life. So I would consider that agnostic maybe it's the wrong term but so power of association for me was so key because I grew up in a very obviously secular environment and so I had a very skewed vision of what it meant to be a woman let alone most of my life I would probably consider myself I don't know if I ever wanted to even get married or have children I was very career driven I was excited to go to college. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I know what, what I wanted to go on to do after that as far as how my future would unfold. And I think the first time I really saw myself the way God saw me was when I met John, which it, it sounds so sappy to say that. Oh, it sounds like a, a Hallmark movie. You complete me. <laughs> but there really was a sense in meeting him I saw for the first time how God saw me. Mm -hmm. For the first time, I had this wanting to have a family, wanting to get married, wanting to have children. And so that was kind of the first step. And then it was, well, what does this actually look like and how you live day to day? And so um, a sacramental life, receiving you know, Eucharist, um, going to confession regularly, all those things. Because I was, as a convert, I was still working out so many things I didn't understand about the Catholic faith. And it really had to come from a place of obedience that I trust that God knows what's best for me more than I, more than I do. 
And that plays into parenting. Obviously, you could probably see how this could unfold very easily. But I think starting off with surrounding myself with, you know, the right type of people who are going to lead me to grow in holiness and receiving the sacraments as often as I could, just really taking advantage of all the the grace that God can we give. It's like I had to make up for lost times, you know. <laughs> oh, I gotta get as much of this grace as I can get. And so I think that just association, I include the association of Jesus in that. Mm-hmm. Association, surrounding myself with his presence and then and then good people and good women of faith. Well, I think that's beautiful, Amy. Uh, the way in which we who grew up Catholic and maybe in like devout homes or religious homes where going to mass was like, I don't know the home that you grew up in, but my home was you go to mass or you don't live at the house. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, really, it was yeah. that simple. If you live in our house, you go to mass on Sunday. Right. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it was that like fundamental to how we grew up. And let me just say that doesn't foster necessarily a lot of affection for the mass because <laughs> it was based on duty and obligation and threat. Right. <laughs> right. And right. so, and, and by the way, Jesus loves you when he's encountering you in right. the Eucharist, right? And you go into heaven and worshiping and all these other things. Not necessarily right. immediate impact. So I love to hear the freshness of the convert, the fresh perspective that says, do you realize what you've been given? Do yeah. you realize the gift, the sacraments, this conduit of the life of God in you? And the answer is, yeah. Whatever. You know, I also knows I had to go. So I it's love too that. bad our teens weren't in the room because they would tell you how often I say that. And they're they're not likely to, to complain about going to mass, but maybe they'll complain about what time we're going to mass or something. And I mean they will remember I'm pretty sure they will tell the stories of moments where I would just almost start weeping. Like, you have no idea the gift you've given. You have all this time as as a young child and a young adult to be formed with the sacraments in this time of your life that is just so important. And I start getting all teary and crying and they're like, oh, mom's gonna, mom's <laughs> gonna lose it, you know? Um, and so I have had those moments, or in, in adoration. I think adoration is something, um, we were at that adoration just surrounded by all these young people. And I mean, I was just like, luck, they always turn off the lights and have some cool little disco lights going up. It's always really interesting the way they market adoration to teens. But I just remember being there and just seeing all these young people. And it was just like, I've got these, you know, just tears streaming down my face. I'm like, why do I cry every time? But yeah, it is. It's a gift. And I hope my kids don't forget that. I think hearing my firsthand account of living life um, without Jesus, isn't that the definition of hell, right? They talk about life being completely cut off or feeling cut off. Yep. However, in retrospect now, when I think about how God was so present that whole time, um, so grateful my parents did have me baptized. I was baptized on a Lutheran church somewhere, somewhere in Colville, Washington. So I know there might be some folks. I don't know. Can they hear in Colville? It's kind of oh, up there. It's pretty up north. I think so. Okay. So yeah. maybe they can hear. Um, that's where I was born. That's where I was baptized at some Lutheran church there. And I'm so grateful to be baptized. I always promote baptism because I think so many of the graces in my life came from the fact that I did have that initial baptism when I was young. So, so grateful for that. So grateful for my parents for that. Well, you, you mentioned the mass and adoration mm-hmm. and, um, and I'm confession. Gonna, I'm going to do this, I'm gonna do this proleptically. That. Here we go. So here's another thing. We're not going to talk, we're not going to tell the journey from the beginning to the end in terms of getting to Biloxi. Right. Um, because again, folks, if you're just listening, I'm talking with John and Amy D'Angelo. Amy is the longtime producer and co-host, co-host from 13 years ago, producing it all those years uh, for Sound Insight. Yep. But at a distance, the miracle of technology yes. is you've been moving around, still able to do all of this great work for sound insight and you recognize her voice folks if you listen to a number of the sponsor mentions you'll hear amy's voice so now you get to hear her as a as a guest and longtime listeners oh amy's back so i'm interviewing john and amy today uh, in biloxi mississippi in their home uh, thank you for uh, welcoming me here yeah, and um i'm, I'm going to do this proleptically meaning i'm not going to start at the beginning go to the end but i'm going to say look at the end and then look how it unfolds from the beginning because the lord was with us all along absolutely but that doesn't mean that you um, are experiencing the same thing all along there's a lot of suffering there's a lot of pain there's a lot of uprooting but let's get to the end of the story so last night i was here and you guys were telling me about hey we drive 40 minutes 
um, uh, maybe what once or twice a month to go to the mm-hmm. traditional Latin Mass, mm-hmm. uh, as well as you go to the the Novus Ordo uh, here. Yep. And I was asking, I was saying, do, do the kids really get into it? Do they get into the traditional Latin Mass because it's longer mm-hmm. and it's different and it's more quiet and there's different music and different a different language and all of this. And you're like, yeah, the kids love it. And I'm like, come on, is this? Are you just selling me on this? And, and, and like, no. Okay, get in here. So you've called in Annalise and you called in Jonathan, and um, oh, you guys were like so proud, just <laughs> smiling and just yeah. like, oh my goodness. But they were like, I asked them, so do you really like going to the traditional Latin mass? And they're like, yeah. Even though we drive forty minutes, they're like, don't you? Yeah. Like, like, I think that was the look my son gave. Like, he was kind of like, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm like, because you know, we've been doing this now for over two years, and my kids still struggle to really connect in to the traditional Latin mass because you know it's long. We tend to go to the high mass, which mm-hmm. is about right. an hour and a half, mm-hmm. right. um, and it's silent. It's a lot of silence, and then there's a lot of singing. In mm-hmm. obviously, everything's in Latin, yeah. and. Um, there's still a lot of like looking around and are they paying attention and you know and all of this um and if i ask them the questions that i asked your son and daughter last night they wouldn't have been able to come up with those answers maybe one of my kids maybe john mark would have said it but the way that your kids said oh the reverence that i didn't say is it more reverent they brought it up oh no i love this way better because i've got to take it seriously i feel like you know, it's there's there's more reverent, and uh, I'm able to I'm really able to get into it. Oh, and I love what Jonathan said. He said, um, "The people around me are so into it; it makes me know that I need to be into it." Yeah. And I thought that was so powerful. Again, it's that power of association. I want my kids when they're at mass to be able to look around and see people engaged engaged and caught up in the beauty and the the miracle that's the happening holiness. and holiness. when we when we go to that mass we are still obviously distracted because we have a two-year-old <laughs> and a four-year-old and all i don't know i maybe i'll just say it out loud but all of our kids are extroverts i mean in case you don't <laughs> know much about our family or seen us ever um many of you listening probably have never met us all of our kids are extroverted, so they're very social. They love to smile and giggle, and they're super adorable. I feel like our kids are just really cute, <laughs> like most parents do. And so it's, it's easy for us to get distracted. And um, so we're still, I'm not saying our kids are perfectly quiet. Um, one of the things I really appreciate about the Latin Mass that we go to is our kids are also aware that the priest himself is new at the Latin Mass. So there is this sort of world in it together. Um, when we go to that Mass, it's not perfect. And um, I kind of like giggle when after Mass, he'll like come up and apologize. I think I messed up that one part. We're like, Father, are you kidding? We would not even know. You don't even have to admit that. But he's so humble. And I think the kids also see just, um, just the reverence he has that, you know, his parishioners, um, asked it's father mike o'connor and he's in our lady of the gulf in in um, bay st louis Louis. see we're still learning the area and he his parishioners just asked him hey father we would love to be able to celebrate latin mass high latin mass and so they did have another preset came in every once in a while that to kind of help but he just he learned you know he learned the latin mass to allow that to be one of the options on sunday and the community really there it. is also. I have to say, the community there was also very welcoming, mm-hmm. which was which was nice um, because you don't always get that. Even in the Novus Ordo, you know, from church to church as you're traveling around, um, you don't always get a welcoming community, and and that's unfortunate because that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing as disciples and um, and as looking to evangelize to others around us too. And that starts with action, right? Isn't it? Uh, is it Thomas Aquinas who said, or no, Padre Pio, you know, uh, what is it? I can't remember I don't know, say you're looking the, at me, the, I'm like, I don't just know. Just make something up and then yeah, just, it's, it's throw a the, saint the, on the end. I've done that too. We have to evangelize and if needed use oh, words. Oh, St. Francis. Francis, that's right. There you yes. go. Yeah. Preach the gospel at all times. That's right. When necessary, use, use words. words. Yep, there very good. Go. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so anyways, the community out there is, was very um, welcoming. And it wasn't just during the Mass, but it was after Mass. You know, come come over and mm-hmm. let's have some fellowship in the hall over here. We'd love to get to know you guys, other families with kids. Um, so our, our kids really have, have come around. So uh, what I want to do now is I'm going to um, focus us in because um, as folks are listening, we're talking about this idea of a journey. And everyone is on this journey of faith through life. And some, for some people, that journey also means actually uprooting and making a journey. And let's just say Biloxi isn't a destination location. <laughs> it's about to be. <laughs> Not yet, Tom. Not yet. Hey, as soon as the secret is out on the program, <laughs> watch out. Watch out. Oh, wow. Well, and so a lot of folks yeah. listening, like across the, uh, across the state and, and in other parts of the country, um, they're... They're trying to navigate the challenges of right now. And one of the things that I've said uh, on the radio, how many times, Amy, is everyone has to discern their own Egypt. Meaning that when the baby Jesus was threatened with being slaughtered by Herod, Joseph and Mary had the call to rescue the baby Jesus and flee to Egypt. And so I said that some people are going to flee by getting up and moving. Other people will flee by staying in place and making radical change in order to protect, lead, and provide for the faith lives of their children. So not everybody can move, uh, but everyone has to provide a refuge in this time because of the enormity of the challenges that are slaughtering the innocence of the faith of our kids and severing these kids from a life-giving way of looking their lives and living their faith. So that's a big intro. But let's, let's dive into that a little bit and say, you moved here almost two years ago. What were some of the like precipitating conditions? What were some of the things that were happening in your lives that made you say, you know what? What's happening here is so serious that we have to not just make small changes and stay in place, but we have to actually be ready to move and uproot and go to a place where you have no family leaving behind all of your family, leaving behind your friends, leaving behind fellowship, leaving all of that behind, what was going on on that side that, that led you to that kind of thinking? The, the first thing that was Well, actually, before on. we do this, I'm going to say this. Let's let's take a break and then we'll come gonna, back. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm looking, the producers looking the, at the time, going, "We're not going to have time to answer this question." <laughs> right. Right. I was like, "Uh oh, I, I hit a break here." So Amy, just give me a little nod. She's like, "Okay, go to the break." Okay, we'll go to break. When we come back, we're going to get the answer to that question. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kernan with John and Amy D'Angelo, and they're sharing their story. Uh, here we are in Biloxi, Mississippi today, and sharing their, they're sharing their story of faith, their journey of faith over those last couple of years. How have you navigated these challenges to lead, provide, and protect your family as a couple? And I just teed up the question just before the break. What was happening in your lives two, three years ago, uh, or even trace it back as far as you want, that made you say, we need to discern seriously, seriously enough, that even it would mean uprooting the whole family and moving to a place where you didn't necessarily have any attraction at all, um, you know, several years ago. Uh, so the circumstances <clears throat> around where we were at in in the Pacific Northwest were coming in on us, closing in on us. We noticed little things here and there um, that we were picking up on. Um, some maybe maybe some fallacies being taught within the church um, maybe some in business um, some relationships with companies large companies um, that had ideals kind of pointing in uh, opposite directions of your faith um, and and having to work inside those that framework right in, inside that um, made it very difficult to be Catholic and still get ahead and still progress and still do what you needed to do to provide. And it started um, closing in more rapidly over time. And that's the, that's the lightest way that I can say that. You are very wonderfully abstract there. <laughs> I want something concrete. I want people to put their teeth into something. I want them to be able to say, oh, I know what you mean. Like I say, yeah. my family was suffering. Uh, we were trying to raise five teenagers at the time. And um, in particular, one of our daughters was just getting slaughtered yeah. by what was going on in her life in the best Catholic high school in the Archdiocese. Despite all of our efforts, 
we were like losing our daughter and it was just like what in the world is going on and we were watching it overflow effect on our other kids and it's like we can't just keep doing this sure we have too many kids there's too much at stake we need to get our kids to heaven so get that concrete come on now you want to dive in? Yeah. <laughs> what about your experience with the unicorn stuff? Okay, now? so I can tell you this. In, in business, I was working downtown Seattle um, doing some outside sales, inside sales, just networking quite a bit, um, moving around in the, in the city area. And what I was witnessing, my own personally, what I was witnessing in the business world was that businesses were no longer putting the... Uh, the MO of the business, the mission of the business as we want to help the customer or we want to serve or we want to provide a better product or that was no longer the mission statement of these companies and it wasn't one, it was multiple um, and very large profitable and tech driven companies and the mission became in my experience as I was going to visit these places, the mission became some social issue politically correct politically correct climate of has nothing to do with the offering right right? but it was if you don't accept this coming in here we're not going to talk any further basically Um, and so you had to make an outward sign of approval of whatever they were deciding and each business had a different thing but all of them were against moral teachings of the Catholic Well, one company family. demanded that you talk to their unicorn stuffed animal at the front desk first and acknowledge it before you could go on to have an interview with the real person. And you were like... So I, I'll, I'll make this quick. I'll tell a quick... <laughs> that was kind of weird. Yeah. Where am I? So I went, am in, I, I went in to uh, present to a company and I was dressed to the nine. I had a suit on, three-piece suit. Um, it was a business call and I had a scheduled appointment. And... When I arrived to this uh, tech uh, company, um, there was nobody at the front desk to greet me. There was a large stuffed animal, rainbow unicorn stuffed animal with a card underneath it. And the card said, hello, my name is, I am a blah, 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 cisgendered, neutral, blah. I don't even know, it was so long, I can't even remember. But I go by the pronouns they and them. And that was the company card. Mm -hmm. This is a multi-billion dollar company. And that's how they want to present themselves to the masses. Mm-hmm. And so I went in there, and then, of course, I was um, approached by some gentlemen who were um, flamboyantly uh, homosexual, and, and they basically uh, treated me as if I was a piece of meat. And I thought to myself, yeah, man, harassment. If, if I was yeah. a woman coming into this atmosphere, and these were men, imagine what would have happened right. in that scenario. But it's non-existent in this case, mm-hmm. um, which is a double standard. And I think the just the overall shock and awe that I felt at that moment, witnessing that, knowing that everybody else in that building was okay with those circumstances, I thought to myself, where's this going to be in five years? Where's this going to be in two years? If it's already at this point now. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started getting the real red flags about the area and the culture around the area that we'd been kind of subdued to think was the norm. And then uh, we, as you go and you look around and you travel, and as I did for the rest of the year, you find out there's other places in the country that aren't like that. They're just mm-hmm. not. They're not accepting that those ideals. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get our family in a place where I knew we could speak out and defend our faith and have some support uh, of the community behind us. Mm-hmm. And I, I just didn't think that we were going to be able to find that there. Um, and we were very involved in our church and our community. And there were a lot of, there's still a lot of great people there. Mm-hmm. But we were looking for more. And I think God was calling us well and what you get at is a dynamic that um, is a challenging one in the Northwest and that is that go back 30 years uh, the language I use is the church had a seat at the table we if we self-identified as like official members of the church or had a public role that was associated with faith it was accepted and respected now not every belief was agreed with but at least there was a sense of saying, we acknowledge you as a person of faith and you have something to bring to the table. Flash forward 30 years and today it is so 
regularly the case that if you were to simply stand up and speak out what the church teaches as a beautiful truth coming from God that will set people free, that will be considered hateful, intolerant, bigoted, and uh, destructive. And it's something that ought to be shut down and silenced. Mm -hmm. And that happens more often than we would like to realize. Um, we just, like, you know, if we have any doubt about that, we just go back and look at like Roe versus Wade and look at the March for Life and, and all of the efforts around abortion. But I think we're numb to that. That doesn't really impact us so much, um, even with all of the beautiful, positive things that we see happening in the pro-life movement. Finally, there's some vigor in standing up, uh, which, is, which is wonderful. But on the other side, there are so many other issues around sexual identity, around the concept of um, growing in an understanding that comes from God, that if you want to promote that in your family, that's a beautiful thing, but then you go out the doors and the billboards and the festivals and the policies in the schools, including Catholic schools, but especially in public schools, you're going to find that your kids' faith around that such fundamental matters are going to be slaughtered. Mm -hmm. it, that should be your expectation. Right. So, okay, Amy, is there anything that you want to draw out about being in the Northwest that made you say, if we are going to be faithful to fulfill our call, we can't just keep doing what we're doing. We actually have to consider moving. I would actually argue that we always felt that way. <coughs> Never, you know, I remember shortly after we got married, we made the kind of practical decision to move, to be close to your parents for a short time. But I always had this feeling that we were called to be kind of a family on mission, part of our... Nomads. <laughs> yeah, it sounds weird. No, and this well, blows people's minds. But a lot of people don't... First of all, a lot of people don't realize that um, before minimalism was cool, um, I gr I've always been a type of minimalist. So I've been very detached from things and I was... I liked having the freedom to really go wherever I felt called. Now, before I knew God, that calling came more from what I wanted to do, not from what I felt God was calling me to do. So that was the big shift for me was obedience. That you talk about, Tom, as I'm sure your other listeners know, that freedom from versus the freedom for, like the freedom towards something. So that was the big shift that happened in my conversion. But for us, I remember when we were newly married, I think Annalise was born. She was a baby. This is right before I started um, doing work with you on Sound Insight, but we were at a marriage renewal retreat. Some of the folks there might remember marriage renewal program, and it was a weekend away for married couples. And it was the first retreat, I feel like it was the first faith retreat that we went on as a couple. It might have been the first faith retreat I had ever been on other than RCAA. So it's interesting to think about that now. But we went to that retreat, and for the first time, we had an opportunity to be prayed over. And I really didn't know what that meant. They're like, oh, you can go with this other couple. They're going to pray over you. I was like, I don't even know really what that means. Um, but I remember going to this room and this lovely couple prayed over us and said, I see this image of the Holy Family fleeing um, into, into Egypt. Jesus is a baby. Mary's on the donkey. And Joseph is leading them. And I And this couple said, I really feel like you're a family that's meant to be on mission. And um, so thank you, Tom and Carrie Curran, for that. That, <laughs> uh, that was before we really knew you, but I remember, and you, you probably don't remember, you pray over so many people, but it. I remember hearing that, and it really confirmed something I felt in me, which was I didn't want to be too rooted in one thing or the other to really be a disciple you know, you read that scripture and it is a little scary that, you know, leave your parents, leave your family um, and really follow God. And I think when you have, you're married with children, you go, oh, that's not for me. We got to be practical. We need to buy our first house. We're going to do all these things. And, um, but we were, I feel like from the very beginning, kind of open to moving wherever and kind of going where the spirit led. But we, we definitely set tight parameters, but we will, as long as it's, within King County, or we will be open, Lord, as long as it's in this part of Washington State, and then, you know. As long as it still makes sense. As long as it still makes yeah. sense, as long as we still family close and all those things, and it took, gosh, 15 years almost for us to really say, yes, Lord, wherever you're calling us, and so there was always that unrest, and so I 
feel like as things kept closing in on us, I'm like, I hear you, Lord. I hear you, Lord. I hear you, Lord. Because in my mind, I kept thinking, well, it could be worse. It could be worse. It could be worse. Right. <laughs> and then as those things close in, I think that's the trap. I really feel yeah. like God was like, how much more do I need to reveal to you? And it wasn't that I want to be very careful with what I say here because I don't think it's what some people are going to endure is going to be different than others. And I, what we were, when we moved, it wasn't to get rid of pain and suffering. Oh, we're going to move so we can have a better life. Or we're going to move because we want to get rid of this culture and what's going on. When we moved, what I really truly felt in my heart was like God gave me a time machine. And he goes, here you go. You know, it's like back to the future, you know, put in a random year and you're going to go back in time um, and get to experience a bit of a redo. And when we moved here, and I don't mean this at all as a negative way of talking about the lovely folks here in Mississippi and Biloxi, but when we moved here, I told John, it really does feel like we're going back 20 years and we get a bit of a redo because we are fighters. We're a bit spunky. I mean, I was always calling my... Um, local public schools. We had our kids in public schools for a short time. Got really involved in our Catholic schools. I was writing letters to our city council members. I was reading letters to um, representatives. Um, but the fight just wasn't bearing fruit. And I felt like God's like, you want to fight? Here you go. Let me plop you here. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, that's Amy D'Angelo along with John, and they're sharing today some of their journey uh, with me on Sound Insight. We're up against a break. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. I'm, again, I'm talking with John and Amy D'Angelo. They're sharing their story with us, the, a journey of faith uh, that uh, married, blessed with six children, and um, felling a call and following that call. And again, everyone has their own Egypt to discover and to, uh, to live out because we are living in a time of battle. And you guys made the move before COVID. And boy, all I can say is things have intensified in so many ways in the last two years. So the Lord had a lot of mercy on you. Okay, yes. in the last few minutes, we only have a few minutes left in the program. I'd love to say, how have you seen, how would you identify, you kind of almost like just bullet point them, um, the blessings of obedience, trusting and obeying? Because it's hard. You know, I, I look at John and I'll say, okay, you're going to provide for your family. And that's one of the biggest things that's hard for a man to say, I'm going to uproot my family is a job. So trusting in obedience that the Lord is going to provide and protect and lead you. So how would you, in, in the bullet point way, just give me some of the ways that you've seen the blessings of God upon your trusting and obedience? You wanna go first? <laughs> I feel like I just talked for so okay. long. <clears throat> well then I'll go. Uh, bullet points. Um, when I first moved out here, we wanted to make sure that our dollars and cents were being spent in the right areas. That was kind of the thing we could not control in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so. We, I joined the Knights of Columbus out here, rejoined. Um, Re-engaged. Yeah, met some gentlemen at the beginning of COVID um, who were on the same lines as thinking as, as I was, um, or we were, about creating a Catholic community, a tightly knit Catholic community. Um, looking at the future of what was coming down the pike, we were, we were saying there's, there's a lot of reasons to do this. And um, when we got a lot of support around it. Um, to the point now where we've created a, a Catholic Business Association a website um, that's a directory of Catholic business owners and uh, professionals um, so that we can make sure that our dollars and cents are going into an ecosystem that will help better the kingdom of God and not go to other things that we don't know where the money is going off the backs of slavery and things like that. You know, there's, there's things you have to watch. So that... The support around that is probably one of the, the most important things that I've witnessed. Um, the other thing too is just the, um, the joy in my children's eyes, knowing um, that they don't have to be on guard all the time um, because there's a community around them of other parents and children with like-minded uh, ideals and um, you know, beliefs. And I know so. one thing you said was um, 
I needed to move for the sake of my prayer life. Mm-hmm. Like I needed yeah. to go. We needed to go deeper. You know, in it was going to happen more easily or in a, in a stronger way here. Sure. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Sure. So, and I mentioned that in the beginning too. I had a great father figure and mother. My parents were, were wonderful Catholics, and and my grandparents were wonderful Catholics too. And um, I I saw the, the sacrifices that they had to make to, in order to to keep that. And um, I wasn't living out my prayer life that um, I knew I should be. I, I kept being called to, but I just couldn't, for whatever, find the time, find the reasoning, find the uh, purpose to do it at that moment in my life. It just, it was taking a back seat mm-hmm. to other priorities that were, were so influential in that area. And so I, I needed to take a step back and really get right with God for me if I was going to be able to be that example for my my children um, to lead the family as, as we're supposed to as we're called to so um, uh, Josh a good friend of mine you know lives out he's a friend of yours as well um, I know he's a devout Catholic I know his I, I respect his prayer life tremendously and um, uh, when I had the opportunity to work with him again, um, whether it was long term or not, you know, it was a, it was a method to get us out here, and I took advantage of that. Um, I took a risk, you know. I took a uh, on it was a faith. step in faith. It was a step in faith, totally yeah. in faith. But I knew that that would support the end goal, which yeah. was to be have a more holy life. Right, Amy, you have one minute to share <laughs> your bullet points. Well, you know, they say that things move slower in the South, and I think some people think that might be a negative thing, but I think it is such a beautiful thing. I know, Tom, you've talked a lot about stillness and silence, and we were just so busy trying to stay on top of everything. And when we moved here, at first it was a little frustrating. It's like, gosh, everything takes so long, and people slow down. Mm-hmm. and. But it's a beautiful thing. They slow down. People protect and preserve their prayer time. And so when you're around someone and you're in a hurry and they go, you know, so slow down. Let's take a moment to gaze. Let's take a moment to enjoy the day. Let's take a moment to be with the family. You know, things slow down, you know, every weekend. And and people work really hard here. They work really hard. So slowing down for them is really that place of rest. It's really that gift that God gives them to be willing to rest and we lost that sense of that and moving here being forced by those around us to really appreciate and take that time to just rest and 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 have that prayer time that we so uh, need well just hanging around with you guys yesterday and then talking with more today i would say this that the culture here right just the atmosphere of the neighborhoods and the people and your community it's just healthier. I, I, I use the phrase less toxic. It's just a healthier culture here, which is a beautiful environment to, to uh, raise your kids in. And I asked you, do, you, do you regret moving? Do your kids, re-? and you're like, oh, no. There's just that sense of, wow, what a blessing from God. Well, uh, we're up against the end of our program. I, there was so much more to say, but you guys did a great job. Thanks for taking time to share some of your story today on Sound Insight. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having us. All right, thank you all so much for listening. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.